0: Start with sales, get faster feedback to your marketing, to your product development and don't wait for it to come, time is money, the faster you can talk to real people, even if they say no, it's gold nuggets what they can tell
1: you. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Follisen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best and I want to take you with me on this journey.
0: My name is Frederick Renlund, I'm the CEO at Lidu Marketing Technologies and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs.
1: Hi and welcome, Frederick. Hi, Josef. Nice to see you. Likewise. How are you?
0: I'm really good. I'm excited. The new year has started. New things are happening. So very positive.
1: Yes. And first thing first, always, Frederick. Please, can you start with telling me and the listeners what your company do, your elevator pitch?
0: All right. So just shortly... Leadu is a marketing technology which doesn't tell anything to anybody because there are 10,000 marketing technologies out there. But what makes Leadu unique in the world is that Leadu is the only lead conversion platform that focuses on website conversion. And the problem that we're solving for our customers is that if you think about yourself, if you're going to buy solar panels or for your own personal house, or if you're going to buy a marine diesel engine for the world's largest cruise ship and you represent the company like Caribbean Cruises, for instance, then in all these cases, you always go to the website, but the websites on average only convert between 0.2 and 2% of all the website visitors, which means that when there's a thousand people going to the website, 998 people who spend three to nine minutes on your site, they leave without buying from you. And this is insane. And this is sort of what we try to help. We try to help by personalizing and engaging with people so that they can convert more traffic from their website.
1: Good pitch. We move on then to a bit storytelling. I want to hear the story of uh, how and why you ended up at Lidu.
0: So uh, I was involved with Lido already before it was founded. And have been with the company since the since the early days. I have an interesting journey. I was first on the board, then I was the COO, then I was the CFO, and now I'm the CEO. So different different hats on throughout the years. Lido itself is roughly four years old, so we're fairly young still. Roughly now at six million euros in ARR and grow it growing quite nicely. So this is basically how I how I, sort of, how I ended up with Lido, but. I remember the early days before the company was founded already when we talked about the idea of sort of uh, combining uh, these chatbots that were new in 2018, 2017 and using that for sales purposes instead of using it for customer support, which it was mostly used for in 2017 and 18. And this was sort of the inception to,
1: to how Lido was started and how I got involved as well. This leads me into the first of my two big topics my, my two big topics in my podcast are leadership and business development and then i also have a throw in a good uh, fun curveballs etc and uh, hi hello so I'm
0: waiting for a curveball to come <laughs> uh,
1: let, let's go with uh, leadership uh, first thing here are you a good leader um i think somebody
0: else should decide it besides me you should ask my team or our team instead but uh Of course, I try to do a lot of introspection, meaning that I try to look at myself from a third person, like a small fly in the ceiling looking down at myself, of course. And maybe I can say somewhat that I think I am a a good leader. Uh, I think I have sort of the balance between uh, factual leading and people leaning. I try to give freedom to people, but also show direction at the same time. I think that sort of... The essence of leadership is uh, people want to decide for themselves, but they need some kind of direction at the same time. So that combination.
1: What would you say are your people, the board, uh, your C-level management are saying about you like, Frederick, we like you because of X. What, What are they saying? The main things when they think of you as the leader.
0: I think they would say if you would go and ask them I think they would say that I give them freedom but I also try to ask more from them all the time by asking why so uh, I think I'm a strict leader in the sense that I want to understand why you are suggesting what you're suggesting or why why you think that uh, you would like to do what you would like to do and uh, of course sort of uh That's hard, but business is hard. And so we should be able to ask why, 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 why. I think there's some rule that you have to ask why seven times and then you come to the actual root cause of why we are trying to do this. But I I try to live by by that and I don't accept things I don't understand. So I want to understand why we are doing things in a specific way.
1: Thank you for sharing 7x. I haven't heard exact that number, but I heard you need to ask a lot. And I loved that you said I don't accept things I don't understand. And if something is too complex to understand after seven times asking why, maybe you shouldn't do that.
0: Exactly. If we don't understand why we're doing it, then of course we can take leaps of faith. We have to take leap of faith sometimes because everything is not understandable. But
1: still, nice. This this leads me to move on here. This is a new thing I throw in. It's new year, new opportunities. So on the <laughs> leadership segment, you're the first one answering this, Frederick. But can you share an odd thing you or a leader above you in the past have done that seemed like, ah, this is really odd, but then when you thought about it now afterwards, had a great amount of impact? An odd thing here.
0: I have one thing, sort of, uh, when I was running a sales team previously, and this was five, six, seven, eight years ago, we were hiring new salespeople. The way that I wanted to hire them was that I think that salespeople should be able to pick up the phone already in the interview process. So actually, even though I got a lot of applications, I only had an interview with those that called me and said that, hey, I sent you an application letter last week. I still haven't heard from you. But yeah, that's the point. I was waiting for you to call me. So that's sort of a, maybe an odd thing to do, but I think it sort of shows that who are actually salespeople and who are not. If they only send an email, they're going to be as dispassionate about sales when they actually joined them later on. So, so that, that's, that's something that I like to take with me and I have used it uh, later in life as well.
1: This was an unusual thing I was uh, hoping for. You said, t- thank you for sharing. Great input. Yes. Uh, this leads me now to a bit more negative angle, Frederick because everything isn't just happy-clappy. What would you say is the worst thing or things about being a leader?
0: The worst things about being a leader? Um, I don't know if it's the worst. I don't think of anything as the worst, but something that people don't probably understand that well is that shit stops at you, basically. If the shit comes from the top or from the bottom, it has to stop at you. And and you as a leadership, leader... Regardless if you're the CEO or if you're a team lead, you should always stop the shit. And, and sort of uh, because there's no value in it sort of pouring downwards or going upwards. That that sort of makes leadership hard, but that's, that's leadership. It is hard. It is solving problems without creating drama or u- useless uh, sort of uh, gossip. So useless gossip doesn't help anything at all. So that's the hard part, that you are quite alone, especially if you're the CEO, you are quite alone in, in many of the things. You, of course, have your leadership team, and in the best companies, you've created a culture, which I think we have at Lido, where everybody can come to talk to me and everybody else, and we can solve problems together, even hard personal problems. But at the end of the day, in most cases, you are quite alone, and that's, that's the hard part. It also, it's also different in, in how, how big the companies are. So the larger the company, uh, the let's say there's probably, diff- I never worked for more than 200 person companies. So I don't know how the large corporations uh, leadership works there. It's probably different than in startups. In startups in, protect- in particular, because we have to change all the time, whatever we do, uh, it makes it extra hard because change is hard for people. And you wouldn't want to change things. And you want to create some kind of structure so that stra- change doesn't happen, but you have to change. You don't have the luxury of having a mono- monopoly in your market. Y- you have, you are the underdog. You are changing the world. So you are trying to change with the world and, and, and such. So these kind of leadership leading through change and knowing that change is hard for human nature, it's uh, not easy. It's not easy.
1: Then we move into the last question here uh, for this time in the leadership segment with you, Frederick. And this is, if you have to summarize leadership from your point of view with one word, what would that be? (laughs)
0: Hard one, hard one. Uh, Maybe that's the word. By accident, I said it's hard. It's difficult. (laughs) I don't know if it's a good thing,
1: but Thank you. This means that we are leaving that segment and move on to a bit. Uh, yeah, n- n- now is a small curveball here. All right. I want to hear a fun fact. I want to hear, Frederick, a fun fact about yourself that most people don't haven't heard about before now. About me in particular? Yes. Interesting. Um, I have this one story
0: that some people have heard when they have asked the same question. And I always, always answered this, that... Uh, most people don't know about me and you can't find out about me on LinkedIn is that I worked as a male escort in Japan and, and I usually leave it at that because then people get confused it's not as bad as it sounds uh, I, I was studying in Osaka in, a, in Japan for a year and me a Dutch guy an American guy and a French guy at least the four of us uh, we got the job off of uh Uh, going out with uh, Japanese housewives and speaking English to them. And they took us to kabuki theaters and interesting sushi and tofu restaurants and stuff like this. But this is something you would not, and they paid us for it. So that was actually a job. But uh, just saying that male escort in Japan sounds much more interesting. It was really interesting as well. So
1: Thank you for sharing. I maybe
0: have to put it on my LinkedIn at some point if people start to know about it too much.
1: How long ago was this? Was this like 20 years ago?
0: Yeah, or 2005 or something like that.
1: We move on to another another not like segmented question. And this is a topic of your choice, Frederick. I want to hear you talk about something that you are nerdy and passionate about.
0: I am, I am nerdy and passionate about like web technologies in general, like really, really technical, uh, not like super technical. I, I know how to program. I know how to like TCP, IP stack works and, and so forth, but, but sort of from a web developer point of view, how the internet actually works, because it's very few marketeers that actually know how the internet works. And I, I say internet works in hyphens because it's sort of funny to say that, but but sort of really understanding how the internet works, how HTTP request works, how push notifications, uh, web sockets work and, and stuff like that. I think it's really, really valuable when you're building technology such as we are when you understand how you can combine like customer value with what is possible with technology and i think i i'm really passionate about that
1: and why what is that makes your clock tick so much for that
0: I guess sort of I was born and raised in the time when internet started. I was sort of uh, exploring the first parts of internet before it was called internet. I remember going through bulletin board systems, attaching up to the first internet pages like whitehouse.org and these FBI sites and stuff like that in the first early, early days of internet. I've been a part of it since the beginning. So seeing how it has evolved and still understand how it worked in the early days. And because of that, understand how how things actually fit together, how DNSs work and how routers work and, and and so forth. So I don't know, that's sort of a passion of mine because it's sort of really interesting to see how much it has changed humanity's lives in the last 20 years. I remember in 97, 96 or something going to the internet for the first time, maybe 98, I can't remember, but really, really early days and sort of seeing how it has changed so much. Amazon was a really, really small site during that time. Now it's like changing billions of people's lives already. So it's it's amazing how things are changed thanks to the internet.
1: So uh, to summarize, then your passion is internet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, more or less, more or less. More
1: I think we move on then to uh, the segment of an external question, because I want I don't just want to be here and shoot questions i also want uh, people in the community of b2b sales to uh, get able to get their voice heard and uh, for this episode it's uh, yeah he's actually a quite good friend uh, and uh, business partner uh, micke selander and this is micke selander's question hey frederick what are your three best tips to spark sales in 2023 it's it's a really good question
0: and uh, Looking at how things have evolved, I I will answer a little bit in a longer way, because I think you have to understand how internet has evolved as well. And in the beginning, if you think about brick and mortar stores, it was really personalized and and it was very like everybody, when you walked into the store, people knew you. With the internet, with the early days of internet, we forgot about that and started serving the same website to everybody. And also now we have sort of forgotten about uh, everything else besides websites. So the first tip really is to be multi-channel. Think about not only websites, but phones, WhatsApp, mail, LinkedIn. Multi-channel is sort of uh, the the way to go. People use different medias in different parts of their lives. Uh, They might be using email at work, but WhatsApp at home. So it sort of depends on when you're trying to reach and in what reason you're trying to reach somebody. The second part is not only pushing your message, but starting a conversation. Because we are humans, regardless if it's G- Chat GPT or AI-driven chatbots or anything like that. In the future, we still as humans want to feel the human-to-human touch. That's the reason why I don't believe that uh, like Chat GPTs will will be the future very soon, at least, uh, because we can too easily find out that they are not real. You go to any insurance company and try to type something in the box that I have lost this or this has been uh, broken. Then they always say that, please call us. So we're not there yet. So conversation really is in insecure in in sales. So use different channels, start a conversation and including on your website, start the conversation on the website. Websites should not be static. You going to a website is different than me going to a website. Me going to the website for the first time is different from me going to the website for the 10th time. It should be dynamic. It should be a conversation that understands who I am, what size company I'm representing and and have different conversations with that. The third tip uh, basically has to do with the same thing I said already. I maybe jumped the gun a little bit, but personalize the conversation. Use the information that you have. You know, based on IP addresses, if you use technologies like Lido or anything else, you know what company it is, what size it is, what turnover, how many people, where it's based, what industry. Use that when you're starting a conversation. Even if it's automatic conversation, it's much more engaging and uh, when, you're, when it's uh, sort of uh, in, in using things that you know about you that are meaningful, don't start a conversation saying that, hi, Youssef. we know that your shoe size is 43 and your mother's name is Maria. It, it's just freaky if you start doing like that, with that. That's only stuff that Google knows about you anyway, so, so it's hard to do that. But use meaningful things to personalize it, just like you would walk into a store and go into a, a sporting store and, and look for skis. They don't start asking you about, would you like to have a bike? I mean, you're already looking at the skis. It's stupid to ask about if you're looking for a bike. Or would you like 50% discount on a bike? It's stupid to use that kind of. Personalize the conversations. And and then, as I said, the first point also, I'll emphasize it again. Use multi-channel. Use more channels than only the phone, only the website, only WhatsApp, only LinkedIn. Use different channels for reaching into different purposes. I hope that's
1: that's something I, I believe in at least. I hope it answers the question. It does. And uh, Micke isn't here, so he can't uh, <laughs> follow up there. So thank you for your question, Micke, and for the answer, Frederick. It's time for the second big segment, and that is business development. First thing here, we need to talk some KPIs. So Frederick, uh, which top KPIs on a company level are the most important for you? And if you don't say why you have chosen them, I will follow up with that. So you know that too.
0: I will start from, I think, sort of all companies, and very few people understand this, but the purpose of the company is to create cash flow. And usually, SaaS companies like us answered ARR or NRR or something like that. They are important as well, but they are only a leading metric for future cash flow. So, cash flow is number one. That we can generate future cash flow, because that's the point of a business. Uh, after cash flow, EBITDA or EBITDA or EBIT, they are leading indicators on the profit and loss statement for cash flow. Those are sort of statement number two. Those are super not sexy at all as numbers, but those are the reasons businesses exist. Then, sort of leading indicators for EBITDA or EBITDA is ARR, LTV, CAC. And basically what ARR and LTV, CAC and NRR, are, they are sort of uh, looking at the profitability of the growth. So you want to have cash flow. Cash flow is a sum of how much revenue you have and how much it costs to generate that revenue. In order to increase the revenue, you have to have more ARR and it has to be profitable. So LTV, CAC or CAC payback time or something like that. And you can drill down, of course. I, and I think every sales business should drill down even one step more. And then looking at like individual salespersons' like contribution. What is the LTV CAC, so to speak, of one salesperson? Or let's say ARR dev- divided by uh, the sales cost. Are we generating more ARR per month? than what that one salesperson is costing. And then also add the next layer we can add on like cost, uh, like website conversions, which is our business, like the marketing, does marketing bring, bring value to the table as well? We, we should measure that as well, that what is marketing bringing to the table? After that, I would stop. I wouldn't start measuring the profitability of R&D at least yet in our company. It's more of a leap of faith in a way that we think we understand good enough that that what is bringing value to customers. Of course, we are measuring how customers are using it, how much they're using it, how much value they're getting. But while our developers are coding, it's kind of hard to know that.
1: And, and when now when we are entering uh, quickly the, the, the topic of the product, I will just quickly fish for what would you say from a product perspective, you are talking a lot of more business uh, KPIs, but what would you say are the main, the like the North Star within your product?
0: So we are a lead generation platform. We, we sort of, uh, we help customers generate more leads from their website. So the number one metric is how many leads did they get from their website, thanks to us. Of course, we know that you got 10 leads per month before us, and now you get 15 leads. So we know that you get 50% more. After that, we have to know how much is a lead worth to you so that we can see the positive ROI. Preferably, we want to show you that, hey, well, once you have been with us for two months, three months, you have already paid for the entire year. That's where North started. We are, our customers are getting their money worth as soon as possible. And we are very good at measuring it because we can see the amount of leads that our customers are getting in.
1: Yeah, we've gotten a lot of KPIs here and explanations why. So yeah, I think...
0: Uh... Can I say one more thing? So yeah. Uh, I said that the purpose of a business is to generate future cash flows, and I think so. But at the same time, I'm not a cold-hearted capitalist in a way that I think that companies should only exist for that. I think there are other KPIs that every CEO should keep in in, in their heart as well. Like, what is the purpose for existing? Are we making the world a better place? Are our employees, customers, and, and those outside of our employees and customers also seeing positive benefits from what we're doing? So I think it's a combination of these KPIs, numeric KPIs, as well as sort of, are you doing something good in the world?
1: Yeah, nice. Uh, and with this said, we are moving into another field within the business development segment. And this is go-to-market strategies. Can you share some, uh, some uh, best practices here, Fredrik?
0: I think sort of uh, in the early days, the best go-to-market strategy is to pick up the phone, call and try to sell. Because uh, once you close the deal or don't close the deal, then you understand what works and what doesn't work. You understand sort of both in a product sense as well as in a sort of sales pitch or marketing pitch sense. If you start the other way around, start doing marketing first, it will take 10 times, 100 times longer to get results and understand why people. You don't get the anecdotal feedback as you do in a phone call or in a face to face meeting when people say, tell to you that, Hey, your product is crap. I don't want it. I don't have any usage for it. If you just see like Google analytics stats that, Hey, people are clicking, but then they're leaving three minutes later. It's kind of hard to decipher what the reason is for them leaving yeah. three minutes later. So number one in the early days is to actually pick up the phone and call people. Old school sales led. I mean, to a point. After yeah. that, you want to do it in a scalable way. So once you know what works, then you want to tailor your spearhead or, or like uh, make it as pointy as possible so that you can nail down the right kind of ICP customers and the right kind of decision makers in the ICP customers uh, through marketing means or other measures. And, and sort of that... That's the only way to make it scalable then again, to to have something that goes from one-to-one calls to one-to-many calls. But in the beginning, it's really valuable to have those one-to-one calls. The more you talk to customers, the better you will understand how your industry works and how your sort of sales approach works, how the competition is working. So sadly, I don't have like a golden mantra or recipe for it. I think you have to be conscious of how your own market works as well.
1: What would you say is the best way to do a cold outreach as a salesperson to you to get you into a meeting. How would you like to prefer to get approached?
0: I have actually been approached in the best possible way that I have liked in my life. This was I was living in the States for a couple of years, running a marketing team there. And I got a cold call from a person that uh, talked about our own website, our company's website, and they said that, hey, I looked at your website and it looks like you're using HubSpot and you're using, you're driving p- people through Google ads. Why are you doing it like this? This is completely crap what you're doing. It doesn't work at all. Why aren't you? And then he went into really concrete details on how we're not using HubSpot forms in the proper way. We're not using this and this and this. And we're not sending events to Google uh, analytics and, and so forth. So you're not even able, able to follow what you're doing. And this was sort of, uh, I knew about challenger sales already at this point. So I was sort of I was really happy about sort of the combination of bluntness but really sort of positive bluntness in the same way that he was he wasn't saying that I am crap or I have done a crappy job. He was he was kinda alluding in that direction, but at the same time saying that really concrete things that we have done incorrectly and how we could improve it. And uh, that was an ad agency or like an SEO ad agency. And it turned out it was the CEO of a 20% company. We ended up hiring them and working with them for a year or something like that, a really positive experience. But the way that he approached me is something I have told to other people afterwards as well. Like in that case, in the American way, it worked really well to be blunt and straight. Maybe culturally it doesn't work that well in, in Sweden or in Finland. But uh, I like the approach of sort of uh, saying really concrete things and and understanding that he had actually spent time on our website and looking at us and understanding
1: us, not just saying that, hey, do you want to buy? Good. This means that we are done with the business development segment and only have three things left, Frederick. Sounds good. And the first thing here, what advice would you give yourself when you were a younger CEO? One to top three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know?
0: I'm kind of lazy, so I'll probably reuse some of the things that I mentioned earlier today or alluded to earlier today. So uh, I think the first thing is to really, really, really understand the customer, the persona, the industry, the goals that the persona has there. What are they trying to accomplish? What is their goal? Uh, I think that would be tip number one. Uh then the second part is that how understanding also as the CEO, so understanding what could the customer do, the persona that do you now understand, or the customer you now understand, what could they do with your technology? What is possible? That's your that's your role as the CEO to combine those two, like technology, business verticals, and combining those together sort to what what can be done for this persona the third thing is quite concrete and i said that i'll I'll link to something i mentioned earlier start with sales get faster feedback to your marketing to your product development and don't wait for it to come because time is money the faster you can talk to real people even if they say no it's gold nuggets what they can tell you if you talk to 100 people 89 will say no and 11 will say maybe or something. It's gold nuggets. You will learn so much by talking to 100 people. So that's tip number three.
1: Start with sales. Yes. So yeah, we are uh, we are going to wrap this up now. And uh, second last question. Which other two B2B socios do you think are interesting and would like to listen to if I would interview them, Frederick?
0: One person I would mentioned at least is Emil Shadeen. He's the CEO of Refined based in Malmö. They're building an awesome Atlassian uh, JIRA Confluence site building tool. Uh, Emil is a personal friend, but also a super cool dude to talk to. Second person, I don't know them. Sid Shibradi. He's the CEO of GitLab. Uh, I've been following GitLab for many years. What they're doing with their culture book online, the speeches that Sid has given at at different sort of uh, events and congresses or gold nuggets worth everything he says from building the company to, to the culture and, and everything around it, pricing and so forth. So those two people, Emil and Sid, definitely.
1: Thank you. And we have arrived to the end. And this is now, I, I will hold my fingers crossed and hoping uh, that you will give me both an inspirational answer but also some concrete numbers on my question, Frederick. Where will Lido be in five years?
0: Uh, Lido will be the most used website conversion platform in the world. We are on the road there in Europe, or Northern Europe and the UK already today. Uh, Number-wise, I think it means something between 50 and 100 million in, uh, euros in ARR. So we are significant in size. And sort of personnel-wise, I think it means experts in different fields, uh, maybe 500 plus people or something like that, preferably not larger than that, at least. I'd like to keep it so that you understand, you know, most people by face, at least maybe not name at that size anymore, but interesting people from different walks of life. So you can learn something every day. I think that's, I hope that that's where we are in five years, maybe earlier, actually.
1: The largest one in your field, 100 million euros in ARR and around 500 people. I wish you the best of luck on that journey with that, Fredrik. Thank you, Josef. Thank you. And with this said, I shifting the focus to you who has been listening quickly and just say... Please press the subscription button if you like what you are because I have a lot of cool guests and great episode with great content. And tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Frederick in B two B SaaS CEOs. And Frederick, a huge thank you for putting aside around thirty minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning.
0: It's been a pleasure. You have any day. Thank you very much.